Our reading for today comes from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And this is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is our reading for today. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, I pray um, that you would let your word be heard, that it wouldn't be my word or my opinion, but it would be yours. And Lord, I pray that all of us would, would hear it, be open to it, be changed by it, that it would impact our hearts and our minds so that we can understand you better, understand ourselves better, and understand what you call us to. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for that this morning, that you care enough about us to love us and speak to us and have a, a word for us in our lives. Lord, that is incredible. We thank you for that. We pray that your word would resound here this morning. All this we lift up in your holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, here we are, an exciting day. If I missed you at the very beginning, Pastor Justin, the pastor here at Grace Hill, it's wonderful to have you with us. We are here on our sixth birthday as a church, and that is exciting for us. Um, and we are wrapping up our series on the book of Colossians. And here's why I picked this book. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to a brand new church in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. Paul is in Rome in prison at this time, and he writes a letter to this church, this church plant, and he, he says, hey, uh, you've been going for a couple years, you're new, here's some words of encouragement. Um, and, and the thing I want you to think about is this. Every church, as you're driving around town, as you're going about, as you talk to people, every church in existence today has a beginning. Think about that. At some point in time, a group of people said, we are going to do this. We belong to Jesus. People need Jesus. We're going to give our time, our money, our prayers, our service, and we're going to start from nothing, and we're going to see a church come into existence. And you might say, oh, that church has been on that corner for a hundred years, and that church, every single church has that story that at some point, somewhere, a group of people came together and said, let's do it, including this church, six years ago today. And so I thought this was the perfect way to cap this, is as we look at the book of Colossians, anything that Paul would say to that young church, I think Paul would say to our young church. And so he goes through the book and he says, look, in the beginning of the book, he says, make sure you put Jesus first in everything. Make sure you understand that it's all about Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus does. And then he says, now here's how you live life with each other. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect and honor your husbands. Kids, obey your parents. Be a good employee. Be a good employer. He gives them all these words to say, do this for your church. But then today, this is how he ends it. As he says, look, you got the church up and going. That's hard, but you did it. He says, now here's four things I want you to remember as you keep going that will protect your church from falling astray or falling into danger. Um, and, and that's really where we're going to go today because what he would say to them is the same thing that he would say to us today. And so what we see is this. 
four things, and you could write them down if you want, because each one of these is going to be true for you individually and true for us together as a church. And the first thing that he tells us to do as a church is be prayerful. Be prayerful is the first thing he said. You see, he gives these directions, devote yourselves to prayer. And then he talks about pray for us. Pray that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that we can proclaim it clearly. Pray that God would open doors. So the first thing that he tries to tell the church is, hey, great job getting going. Now be prayerful. And see, the thing about prayer is this. We're not just supposed to pray when times are hard. I don't know about you, but that's a struggle for me. My prayer life when things are bad or hard is way better, way more frequent than when everything's good. When everything's good, I kind of lose track of that. And he's saying, no, no, no. Even when things are good, even things were going the right direction, keep praying. And, and then he adds this point, and, and I think it's, it's big for us. He's saying, don't just pray for you and your family. He says, that's not what prayer is about. He's saying, pray for your church, pray for your pastor, pray for other churches, pray for the other people in church. That our prayer lives are not just supposed to be, hey God, here's my list of needs, here's what I want you to do, thank you. Our prayer is supposed to be, hey God, I saw that family at the store today, I could tell stuff was going on, I don't know what they need, God, would you help them? God, there's this person at church and we keep praying for them for their cancer, God, would you help them? God, would you pray for our church that we would keep holding strong, that we would keep doing what we're supposed to do? Would you pray for my pastor and his family? Would you pray for our leaders and our elders and our, our board members? Would you pray for them and guard them and protect them? God says our prayers should be about more than, than us, and our prayers shouldn't just be when things are bad. And, and this is the key for us to understand. Prayer is a get-to, not a have-to. And let's be honest, there are times in our life where we treat prayer like a have to, where it's a guilt thing. Oh, I'm not reading my Bible and I haven't been praying, so I better do that so God doesn't smite me. And it's just like, a, I'll do this so God will do this. And it's a have to. And God goes, no, 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 no. Prayer is a get to. I mean, think about this. Throughout the whole Old Testament, that's the whole Bible before Jesus comes, Everyone in the Old Testament, you know how they prayed? Very formally. We pray to the God of Jacob and Isaac, and, and we pray to the God of Moses, and we pray to the, you know, this holy, un, you know, knowable God. And then Jesus comes, and they ask Jesus, Jesus, how should we pray? And what does Jesus say? Say, our Father. And in literally the word is Dad. And everybody's like, did he hit his head? Like, did he just say to call God dad? That's weird. And maybe that's weird for you. I mean, I know when I think of like the big, awesome, all-powerful God that can do all things, to just be like, hey, dad. I mean, like, that's, that's kind of weird. But literally, that's what Jesus says. Call him dad. 
talk to him. Have a relationship with him. Talk to him throughout your day. It doesn't have to be some big formal thing where you stop everything and you kneel down and you prostrate and you do all these things. It, it can just be as you're driving, you know, like, God, I'm really frustrated today. Can you help me? I mean, think about this. If you have a dad who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-forgiving, all-present, all-capable, whose heart is inclined towards you and who seeks only good for you, what would you talk to that dad about? Everything, right? God is like, just talk to me. They, they, you just come in and you say, Dad, I had a great day. Or Dad, I had a horrible day. Dad, I'm confused. Or Dad, I think I know what's right, but uh, that's burned me before. Like, just talk to him and share life with him. You know, too often in life, we treat prayer as a last resort. When, when I can't figure my way out and nobody else can help me, then all I have left is prayer. I just, God, there's no hope, only you. I mean, let's be honest. Some of us, that's how we pray. It's once I can't figure everything out, once nobody can help me, once there's no book to give me a guidance, no podcast I can listen to, then I'll pray. And I've learned too many times in my life that when prayer is all you have left, you learn that it's all you really need. That in the hardest times of my life, he holds true when there's nothing left. And prayer is the most powerful thing I can do when sometimes I treat it as the last resort of what I should do. Because what I've learned throughout my ministry is this, God doesn't need my prayers. I do. I need my prayers to remind myself that there's a God up there who can do infinitely more than I can even imagine and that he's got me. And so his first encouragement to the church as they're growing and doing well as he says, don't stop praying. Don't get so comfortable that you, you start listening to yourselves and when big things come up, you use your own wisdom. He says, don't stop praying and listening. And this is true in your own life. When things are good and you're like, oh, I got this. Let me juggle everything. Let me figure everything out. He says, no, no, no. Keep praying. Keep relying on me. Don't get where you just think you don't need me anymore. Keep the relationship. The second thing that he tells us in this verse is to be watchful. To be watchful. And that literally means don't get comfortable as a church and don't get comfortable as an individual. That means that we always need to be looking for opportunity to look and see what God is doing, who God is putting in front of us because God is gonna put people and in, in organizations around us that need our support, that are hurting, that are struggling, that need encouragement. And we can be, as a church, too comfortable, too distracted, too selfish, too busy, or as individuals we can be those things that we, we just... Don't notice the new people, the new opportunities that God is putting in front of us that he wants us to love and to serve and to bless. So he says the second thing you need to be careful of is you need to stay watchful because I'm going to keep putting things in your way. And sometimes, even though your best laid plans go this way, I, be, I might be calling you to pivot over here to do this because this group needs you or that person needs you. Be watchful. The third thing that he tells them is be thankful. Be thankful. That, that you cannot go through life just focused on what's next and what you need and what you don't have. 
that you need to, as a church and as individuals, be thankful. Remember this. Paul is writing this from where? Prison. What does he say here? For which I am in chains. Paul is in a first century prison writing a church and saying, don't forget to be thankful. Why? Because Paul knows what's going to happen to him. He knows what's coming. And he knows he's taken care of. He knows in the end what's going to happen. And he knows that God's got his back. And so he's saying, I don't focus on that. I don't focus on the bad. I don't focus on the future. I don't focus on the unknown. I focus on the God who has been with me all throughout this journey. The God who brought me back when I was bit by the viper. The God who brought me back when I was shipwrecked. The God who brought me back when I was beaten to death 12 times. The God who brought me. I focus on that. And then I remember that everything in the future is okay. And so the third thing that he tells us as a church and as individuals is to be thankful. That we always need to be remembering what he's done. That we always need to be stepping back and looking at the big picture. That we always need to be putting things in perspective. Because if we get focused on what we don't have or what our needs are or what we want God to do next, then we're going to miss out on the blessing that he's already done. And we're going to miss out on the peace that comes from understanding he's got us. Whether it's this or this or this, he's got us. Because he's shown us that throughout our journey. And then the fourth thing that he tells them is this. And he says it in the last two verses here as he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The fourth thing that he tells us is to be relational. There is nothing that crushes a church more than when it becomes cliquish. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And look at our church when we, when we do youth group, we have three rules, and we say them every time we start. Rule one, put your cell phone away. Don't want to see it. Rule two, respect the adults. Rule three, nobody sits by themselves. You see somebody pulling away, you see somebody doing, bring them back in. Nobody's alone. And at Grace Hill, I love that we get up and we move around and we say hello, but I can tell you this. Walking through those doors and standing there and seeing a whole room of people that look like they know each other, that's intimidating. That's intimidating. And so what we need to always strive to do as a church is be a church that goes and cultivates relationships, cultivates uh, and, and initiates conversations. That's who we're called to be. That we can't get clickish as a church. We can't just show up and sit by the same two people and every day just talk to those people and just say, well, I got my friends. I'm good. That we need to be looking out there and saying, hey, our job is to make sure that everyone's welcomed here. Our job is that person that's standing there not shaking hands. I'm going to go give them a hug and, you know, we'll see what happens, but we'll do it. And we're going to do that, that we're going to be a church that is always relational. Because when you step back and you look at the big picture and he, you see what he's saying, look at the history of churches. When they stop praying and listening to what God says, when they stop being thankful for what he's done and only focus on what they don't have, when they stop being relational and they get very cliquish, and when they stop being watchful of what God might be doing new, what happens to the church? And so he says, do these four things individually and as a church. So that you continue to grow, you continue to serve your mission, you continue to be who you're called to be as a church. And so that brings us to today. Because six years ago today, this very morning, 
We were at Noah's wedding venue at 171st Pacific. Some of you journeyed with us over there. And I remember being terrified that morning. I remember when I, I got brought from Knoxville, Tennessee to Omaha to plant a church. I forgot to tell anybody that I had never studied anything about planting churches. Like, I just kind of hoped they would never ask, and they didn't. And so I hit the ground day one, and I'll never forget day one. The senior pa or the, the executive pastor over at Divine Shepherd, he said, he said, what's your budget? I said, what? Day one. He said, what's your budget for next year? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and he was like, well, figure this out. You need to know, you know, like, what's your start date? What's your, you know? I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to quickly find out. I have no idea what I'm doing here. So I'm just like throwing out stuff. I'm calling people. I'm like, can you help me? And I remember that day came, September 25th, 2016. And I was like, man, I, I just hope somebody shows up. I remember we, we had our team ready. We were standing there. And I was a nervous wreck. And my wife, who loves me, and, and I'm usually very comfortable, very calm. She could see, like, everything was swirling. And she, whew, I'm getting choked up. She came up to me, and she said, let's go outside. And we went out onto the patio at, Grace, er, at uh, Noah's. And she started holding my hands, and she started praying. And she was just like, it doesn't matter if it's two people or 200 people. God, you brought us here. Just let us faithfully serve you and you do whatever you're going to do, God. It's about you. It's not about us. And I remember we're in the middle of this prayer and I'm crying and all of a sudden these two arms come around us both and Sheila Taylor is like, I saw you guys. I know this is a private moment. I'm so sorry, but I saw you guys are over there and now you were crying. I was crying. So I just thought I'd come in the middle and like that was just that moment of going like, God, you got this. You got people around us that love us. You got people around us that are bought into this. And we had crazy stories in the beginning. If you were a part of us back at Noah's, they used to have parties every night and on Saturday nights, King Sierras and weddings and all this. And multiple times, the staff quit. They, they, they would just see the building and they would just quit. And so we would show up at 6 a.m. on Sunday to set up. And like the place is trashed. There's throw up everywhere. I remember having to text the elders at 6 a.m. being like, we got to open all the doors. It's a puke night. You know, like, I, and I'll never forget. I see him laughing over there and I'm going to tell a story. I'll never forget one of our elders at the time, Matt, <laughs> Matt's over there, uh, Matt Mueller. And uh, someone had puked in the industrial fridge. Or not the fridge, sorry. The industrial sink. Someone had puked in it and clogged it up. And it was like over flowing so we have this smell wafting through the whole building and I'm just I'm I'm a sympathetic puker so that's you know like I just hear that noise and I'm, I'm going you know and and so I come around the corner and he's elbow he's in his pajamas 6 a.m. he's elbow deep in this pulling out chunks and he's throwing it in a trash can and I'm like Whoa. and he's like I have no gag reflex and he's just grabbing stuff and then he did serve communion later that day <laughs> He washed his hands. He wants me to clarify that. But I mean, we have these stories of like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a pure production. You know, like, it wasn't easy. And then, you know, we have a month's notice that we're getting kicked out of Noah's because they are going bankrupt. And so we had to move an entire church all the way down to Gretna. 
in a month. And we had no idea if people would follow us. And then God opened up doors and we get the land and we're like, hey, there's this spot only a mile from the land, but we are going to have to move from Gretna to Elkhorn. Are people going to follow us? And throughout that journey, I've learned I can't sit back and be like, well, this is about my self-worth, and this is about how good I do, and this is about a reflect. God, you do your thing, and I'm just going to try and faithfully serve you and follow you. And the way that Paul ends this letter to Colossians, if you look, the last 15 verses, is Paul starts highlighting individuals that are doing an incredible thing. Can you think about that? I mean, there's like a guy named like Tychicus or something in there. We're going to meet him one day. And it would be like, hey, I know you. You're in the Bible because you did a good job. Can you, how cool is that? And, and, and he starts listing, hey, this guy's going to come to you, support him. He's going to go over here. This guy's going to come help him do these things. And so what I want to do is in the same way. I want to call out some people that did some incredible things, and they're going to stand up, and we're going to clap real quick because we've got a bunch of people to clap for, and then they're going to sit down. But if you were part of the seven families that spent nine months dreaming up this church and starting this church, we call them the dream team. If you're part of the, the dream team, would you stand up here this morning? <clears throat> None of those people thought they were going to be on the dream team. I asked them to come to one Wednesday meeting. And then I asked them to come back next week, and then next week, and next week. And then finally they were like, so are we just like doing this? And I was like, yes, yes. Every week, every, every Wednesday night for nine months, we dreamed up a church. Now, uh, we announced that, that vision for Grace Hill to the whole church, and we started with 100 people on our, on our launch team. If you were part of the launch team or if you were part of the charter, a couple months later we chartered um, on January 22nd. If you were part of that, would you please stand up? The launch team or the charter family church? Please stand up. <clears throat> All right. If you are one of our elders, would you please stand up? Our elders have guided us throughout this journey. If you are one of our board members or have served as a board member, would you please stand up? This board, just Greg in the back there. Greg, okay. <clears throat> this board has guided this church in so many ways that you don't even know. There are so many times that, that we were literally just in the dark saying, you know, throwing a dart at the wall and just, God, we think this is what you're saying. Let's go. And they have guided us so well. Um, if you are part of a team, any team here at Grace Hill, the hospitality, the, the tech, the music, the welcome team, if you're part of any team here at Grace Hill, would you please stand? Our kids ministry, please stand. You guys make it happen. And then one last group I want to stand up, but I want to say something first. Six and a half years ago, as we dreamed up this church, it started with two statements. We want to build a church we are excited to invite a friend to, and we want to build a church that anyone, no matter their church background, would feel comfortable and want to come back to. If you have, at any point in your time at Grace Hill, ever invited somebody to church, it doesn't mean they came, 
If you have ever invited somebody to this church, would you please stand up? Thank you. See, that's the most special one to me. Because seven years ago, that's what we dreamed of, a place where people would invite people. And to see that room stand up and see people are doing that, that's so special. I, I brought two things real quick. I'm running over time, but it's okay. <clears throat> this was, um, this hangs in our office next door. This is the charter day, January 22nd. The families. Uh, that were a part of Grace Hill signed this and we let the kids sign it too you can see it all I'll leave it up here if you want to come check it out um, but we we dreamed up a church and it happened and here we are today and then I love this this hangs up and you might be like why is this hanging up I think this is the best reflection of what Grace Hill is this is the official document from the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod that signifies us as an official Lutheran Church um and you might be like, what happened to it? Well, it used to hang in our office, but during a youth group night in a vicious spike ball game, it got knocked off the wall and it broke the frame. So I brought the certificate home and, and I laid it on our desk at the house and Joe was gonna find a new frame for it and stuff. And during that time, Beckett got a hold of it and colored all over it. And she was like, you're going to have to call the district and get a new one. I said, oh, no, we're not. <laughs> and we framed this, and this hangs in our office next door. But I think it's a perfect symbol of who we are. Like, it's messy. It's got kids all over it. But this is us. This is us. And so from the bottom of my heart, as the pastor of this church, I want to say this. It has been the greatest joy of my life to serve you for the last six years, and I cannot wait to do it for decades to come. And so thank you for letting me be your pastor, and thank you for all that you have done to make six years happen. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. As we go into a time of confession, I'm going to repent of some things, some things directed at what we're, we're looking at. And as I say my confession, if it hits you too individually in your life, I just quietly to the Lord want you to say, me too, Lord. And we'll just go through this confession together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for all the blessings that you have put into our lives and all the ways that you have blessed this church. But Lord, as we look at those things that you call us to do, Lord, I, I'm guilty of those. Lord, I repent that I have at times been too busy to talk with you. Lord, I repent that when things are good, at times I ignore you. I only come to you when I need something. Lord, I repent that at times I make things all about me, that I take credit for what you do and what you have done. Lord, I repent that I have not always been the best example as I should. Lord, I repent for the times that I have not been thankful or I've only been focused on what I don't have or what I need. 
Lord, I repent of the times I did not act on the opportunities that you gave me, that you put people and opportunities in front of me, and I didn't act on them. I repent of the people that I did not invite. And Lord, most of all, I repent for the ones that have fallen through the cracks. Every church has people that for whatever reason, it just, they fall through the cracks. And we're guilty here too. And I'm guilty of not making enough time or not pursuing like I should. And I'm guilty of it individually, of people in my life that I know needed more time or attention or, or I should have pursued harder. And Lord, I repent of the ones that have fallen through the cracks. Lord, forgive me, forgive us for where we have fallen short. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. God loves you, and there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from his love. You see, in our lives, when you mess up and you hurt other people, a lot of times you get their wrath, you get their grudges, you get, God doesn't act that way to us. When we mess up, God doesn't sit there and hold a grudge against us. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't walk away from us. He comes to us, and he loves us, and he welcomes us. And he says, you're forgiven. Go out there and try again. You're forgiven. Go out there and try again. He is a good and gracious dad who loves you and forgives you. And so that's the good news that I get to give to you is no matter what mess you're in, no matter what you have done, no matter how dark it is, that you can repent and you can be forgiven of anything. Of anything. Because Jesus Christ paid that price on the cross to set you free from whatever it is. And so go with that love and forgiveness that you are forgiven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.